Hey, well, my name is Pastor Zach. If you're a first-time guest here this morning, can we give all of them some love? We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. We're going to be jumping into a brand new series about marriage and relationships. And listen, we want to make this a little fun because I know sometimes this can be somewhat intimidating, especially if you're married. I used to hate going to marriage series and hearing a marriage sermon or reading marriage books because it just made me realize how inadequate I was. <laughs> and so really what we want to do is uh, we want to have a little bit of fun with it. And so we threw out a challenge this week. We threw out a hashtag on our Facebook. Show us some of your funny, funny wedding pictures or maybe just when you were young. So let's reminisce a little bit. Let's throw up the first picture here on screen. Look at that face. Look at that face. Let's go to the next one. All right, we got another one, cake smashing. Awesome, let's go to the next one. Look at, I don't know what's going on there. And I don't even want to ask. I had to crop that picture out a little bit just to let you guys know. Um, let's go to the next picture. I think we got another cake smasher. Look at that face. Good night. Before we go to the next picture, I want to set this up for you guys a little bit. My wife and I have been married, it'll be eight years um, Coming up in about two and a half weeks. And uh, it's been, yeah, I'm glad for that. But I, based on this picture that I'm about to show you, I'm trying to figure out how this whole thing happened. Um, so let's show that picture, my picture. How in the world? Look at that. I don't know what I was doing. That's like my blue steel face or something. I don't, I don't, how did this, let's go to the next picture, get this? I have no stinking idea. I think God blinded her eyes for a moment. Um, it was literally like a child marrying a woman. That's pretty much uh, was the epitome of my marriage. But listen, before we go any further into this, I just want to um, graciously honor my wife. My wife has stood by me in some of the most difficult of times. And uh, yes. And um, Honestly, I'm going to share a little bit of our story later on, but uh, it's just been a God thing within our marriage. I mean, I have known my wife since she was 12 years old, and uh, so it's a pretty crazy story of just how God kind of joined us together, but she truly is my better half, and this church would not be what it is today um, without her. She does a lot of work behind the scenes that you guys never get to see. So once again, I just want to thank her for everything that she does. Um, so we're going to start a new series called From This Day Forward. And the reason that we've titled that, uh, this message, is it's very intentional because a lot of you are coming in here that are married and you're like going, oh my God, are you serious? We're going to talk about marriage. And you already feel guilty and I haven't even talked about anything yet. And so, because maybe some of you have this past, maybe some of you have um, past relationships that you were hurt by, and maybe you're having to deal with that within your marriage right now. Or maybe you're single and you're not married and you're going, man, I want to be married one day, but I just got out of a bad, ugly relationship, and it didn't go too well. So the whole idea, the reason that we've titled it um, from this day forward is simply from this day forward that God can heal you of any kind of past situations or any past mistakes that you've made or any regrets that you had. We really genuinely are praying and believing that God is going to do a work within marriages here within this church. I don't know if you know this, and unfortunately the statistic um, does not vary for Christians, but it is a 50 50% chance that your marriage is going to work. 
Like 50-50, that is stats. And unfortunately with Christian marriages, it does not change. So you have, if you're married today, you have a 50% chance that it's going to work. Okay, and so really what we want to do this morning and throughout the next four weeks is we really want to give you some tools and help you and give you an opportunity so that you do not have to be another statistic. How many of you guys, just show of hands, are married in here and you'd say it's pretty difficult at times? Okay, how many of you guys have ever been in a relationship before but you're not married and you would still say, hey, it's just pretty difficult at times? Okay, and so really what we want to do is regardless of what your past looks like, regardless of some of the relationships that you've been in before, or maybe it hasn't worked out so well, and so you're judging your marriage based off of maybe some mistakes that you made, or maybe you just feel guilty for some certain things, hopefully God can do a deep work inside of us. So before I jump into any of this, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for every single person, God, in here that's married, or maybe God one day wants to be. God, I pray that you would just do a deep, great work in marriages this morning. God, I know that there are people out there, God, that are struggling. I know people, maybe they feel like they're just on their last um, rope, and they feel like it's almost over, and so maybe they came here this morning, God, with just some kind of hope and some kind of anticipation, not for what I would have to say, but God, for what you would do in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before I dive into this, I want to read a passage in uh, Lamentations. It's kind of an odd book, but Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to read it in verse 19. And it starts off, the author is kind of relenting about some past mistakes that he's made. And it says this, it says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast. And so here's what the author is saying. He's like, listen, I am well aware of my past. I am well aware of the stupid mistakes that I have made. I I guarantee you, if I just gave you 30 seconds real quick and I said, hey, for a moment, just think of some of the dumb decisions you've made, would you feel guilty? You, You probably would. You would look back and, oh my God, I cannot believe I did this. So, I know some of us are sitting in here today going, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're at this point. I can't believe we're at this point in our marriage. Are we really here right now? Are we really at this place where we can barely look at each other in the eye or hold conversations? Are we really here? You really remember what's going on right now. And could it be possible that maybe God brought you here this morning so that he could start a work deep within your heart so that all those regrets All those mistakes, all that guilt that you have can eventually begin to be worked on by the Holy Spirit. You guys believe that this morning? Two of you, great. (laughs) Awesome. But God is always willing to give you a blank page. He's always willing to give you a do-over. He's always willing to help you start again. And if you've been coming to this church long enough, you've probably heard us saying that almost every single Sunday. And for some of you, I I think by now, um, maybe if you haven't experienced what the Holy Spirit has to offer, you're kind of going, Zach, are you serious? Like a blank page, a do-over. Like, look, I don't get one. It doesn't work for me. I've never felt like God really come in and give me a start or a fresh start or a clean start. Well, I want to continue reading the scripture because watch this. This is the same author, okay? So in the very beginning of the text, he's saying, I remember my past. I'm well aware of all my failures and my mistakes. And then this is what happens. 
says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So he's remembering about what, who Jesus is and what he's done. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. And watch this. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I believe this is exactly where God wants to lead us to this morning. Many of us, maybe we're in a hard place, maybe we're in a difficult moment in our marriage, but God wants you to remember how good he is. That at any point that you choose to do so, that you choose to lay down your desires and your wants and say, you know what, God, I want to start over again. He gives it to you every single day. Amen? Ultimately, here's the question that I want to answer. Are great marriages possible? (laughs) Are they possible? Now, if you look at culture, um, it totally seems like they're possible, right? I mean, if you sit down in every Hollywood movie that is awesome about relationships, how does it always end? It ends with this bitter argument. They can't stand each other. And then by the end of the movie, they can't get off of each other. And then it ends with happily ever after, right? Or if you read like some kind of novel and the, it's the same story that plays over and over and over again. It seems like culture is obsessed with relationships that work, yet in reality they don't. It seems like we're fascinated with this idea of happily ever after. We want it to work and I think it's a good thing to aspire towards. But the truth is the odds are stacked against us. So the question again Are great marriages really possible? Because statistics say no. Statistics say that, hey, most likely it's not going to work for you. Most likely it's not going to happen. Most likely you're going to get bitter at each other. You're going to hurt one one another. And instead of working it out, you're going to decide just to leave. Anybody ever been there? Where you feel like the only option that you have is just escape. The only option that you have is just to divorce or move away or get out the only problem with that is if you do that is you consistently and constantly take yourself with you and all of your problems and all the things that you deal with so i ask again are great marriages possible and i think they are with christ at the center okay so really what i want to talk about this morning is in order to have a good marriage jesus has to be number one Jesus has to be the central focus of your relationship. Because think about it this way. There is no way in life that you would take those odds, those 50-50 odds, and apply it to anything else. So, so put it this way. If you got on an airplane and the pilot's like, hey guys, I just want to let you guys know there's a 50% chance that we're going to make it. <laughs> would you get on that plane? No, you would not take your chances. You'd be like, heck no. If there's a 50% chance that this plane is going down, that I am getting off. I'm not riding it. But unfortunately, this is what we do in marriage. Oh, I think I like this person. I think we're compatible. I think it works. Hey, let's just go ahead and get married. And we take those 50-50 odds, and we put it together, and we're just like, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's, let's give it a shot. So most of us in here, I think we know that our relationship is either failing or not working. The problem is we're not doing anything about it. So we're very well aware, just like I read in the very beginning, we're very well aware of our problems. We're very aware of our issues. We're we're very aware of our deficiencies. The question is, what are you willing to do about them? 
And the truth is, a lot of times to solve some of the deeper issues in our marriage and within our relationships, we have to be willing to walk through some painful waters sometimes. We have to be willing to confess things that we don't really want to confess. We have to be willing to say things that we don't really want to do. Maybe if you're a person that instead of like blowing up, you just hold everything in and and you think that it's good by you just holding everything in because you're not the one that's always spewing. Well, let me give you a little advice. You're just as wrong as the one blowing up all the time as well. Because eventually you're going to have your moment and they're going to be like, oh my God, what happened to her? Like she just blew up. She broke things. She threw things. She was throwing shoes at me. And I don't know where that came from. It's because she's been stuffing it down all along. So most of us know that we have issues. Most of us know that we have problems. And I'm here to tell you today, if we're going to put Christ at the center of our marriage, then get this, if you want it to work, you have to be willing to deal with painful things. You just have to. There's no other way around it. And within the culture that we live in, we consistently like being comfortable. Nobody likes sacrifice. Nobody likes walking through painful waters. Nobody likes getting vulnerable with things because it just feels uncomfortable. But if you want to have a good marriage, if you want to increase your odds, these are some things that you're going to have to be willing to do. So in order for you to increase your odds from this day forward, you've got to commit to four things. And I'm going to give you the whole series right here. Okay, number one, You've got to seek God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay? Personally, on your own, you have got to seek Jesus at all costs. You've got to seek Jesus. Number two, the second thing that you've got to commit to is you've got to learn to fight fair. Okay? And so, because here's the deal. Within relationships, when you put two people together, two flawed people together, two sinful people together, you will never be able to avoid conflict no matter how holy you get. Okay, it's just going to happen. You're going to fight. But the, the, the thing that we want to help you with is can you fight and can you learn to fight fair? Because some of you fight dirty. <laughs> Some of, you, some of you fight real, like you go for the jugular every time. Like he just left his underwear on and you're bringing up like five years ago when he did something terrible, right? And so can we learn to fight fair rather than constantly dragging up the past into our arguments, therefore never resolving anything? Number three, we've got to learn to have fun together. Here's the truth. Some of you, I'm just going to say it right off the bat, you're boring. Like, you're just boring, okay? Like, some of you need to loosen up just a little bit, okay? Christian, we can have fun, okay? You can go out and you can have fun. Like, some of you just need to learn how to do this. And this is also the week, if you have kids, take advantage of OSC Kids, because we're also going to talk about some romance stuff, okay? Um, Some of you are like, I'm going to be there. Every guy's like, I'm going to be, we're going to have like a record attendance on that one for every man for that one week, Learn to have fun with one another. And then the fourth thing, this is huge, okay? You've got to learn to stay pure. Because we live in a culture, I don't know if you guys know this, the number one drug in the world right now is not any kind of narcotic, it's pornography. It literally alters your brain, okay? And that stuff, those kind of things, we've got to learn to put environments and things in place so that we can stay pure because if we don't, it's going to wreck marriages. It's going to wreck relationships. Now, here's what I want you to know. Yet again, from this day forward, you can make a decision to consistently move on. 
Okay, so some of you, I say some of these things, you're like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm worthless. It's not working. I can't believe that I've done this. From this day forward, God wants to give you a fresh start. Okay, God wants to give you a do-over. So I don't want you sitting in here or talking through some of these things just consistently feeling guilty. Okay, what I want you to do is there may be some things when you walk out of here you've got to repent for. You've got to look at your spouse in the eyes and say, you know what, these are some things that I'm just failing at miserably. Will you forgive me? I need to work some things out between me and Jesus. And then on the other side of it, you've got to learn to move on. Okay, so um, let's dive right into this. Let's talk today about how, what it looks like in marriage to seek God. What does it look like to seek God? Let's read a verse in Matthew 6, um, 33. It says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So here's what this verse is saying. Jesus is saying, if you get close to me, if you seek me, I'll take care of your stuff. I'll take care of your stuff. I'll deal with your stuff. But... If you choose to take care of your own stuff, you're opting out of a power that only comes from Jesus. If you choose to do it by yourself, you're opting out of a power that only comes from Jesus. The reason that some of you are consistently failing in certain areas of your life is because you're choosing to do it on your own. And let me just tell you this, you're not that good. You're just not that strong to do it on your own. Seek Jesus first. Singles, let me tell you this. If you're single in here, learn to seek Jesus first rather than finding a relationship first. Man, we live in a day and age where it seems like everybody is seeking relationships. I mean, we live, it's like culture is telling you, if you don't have a boyfriend, if you don't have a girlfriend, you are a loser. Like you are just absolutely worthless. And so some of us are looking so hard for relationships and no, she's not the one. No, she's not the one. No, she's not the one. Here's, here's a whole shift of a paradigm here. Why don't you stop seeking out the girl or the guy and looking for that one? And why don't you just become the one? Seek God, allow him to make you the person that everybody else is looking for, and then God will bring you the right person. That makes sense? But so many of us end up getting that backwards as you feel like, I've got to date everybody, I've got to try everything. Listen, women and guys are not Hershey's chocolate bars. You don't just continue to try them until you find the right one, okay? It's like, ooh, she tastes good, but I don't like that little nut in her. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Ooh, this tastes good, but I don't like this. It's, it's not candy, okay? Because here's the thing. Relationships have the ability to cause the deepest wounds in us. The deepest wounds. You ever, in, in that, if you're married, you'll understand this. The person that you love the most can hurt you the most, right? The person you love the most can betray you the most, The person that makes you so happy can make you so angry at the next moment, right? Seek first Jesus, and he will make you the right husband. He will make you the right wife. Seek Christ first. Married people, we've got to stop idolizing our spouse and hoping that they can give us the fulfillment that we're looking for. Listen, that emptiness that you feel is not going to be found in your husband and it's not going to be found in your wife. You have to find that in Jesus. I used to not believe this, but the longer I've uh, 
the older I've gotten, I've seen this to come true, but whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Your spouse makes a horrible God because they're flawed, they're imperfect. And let me give you an example of idolization and demonization, okay? So do you remember, let's, let's go back to when you were dating, okay? They had, you had the, they had these certain attributes that you just loved. So let's, for instance, maybe you saw your husband and you're like, oh my gosh, I just love him, he's so laid back. He's just so laid back, he's just so chilled out, I just love him, he's not uptight about anything. And then 10 years later, you're demonizing him because of the fact that you're like, oh my God, he's so lazy. <laughs> he never does anything. He doesn't move. Or, or, or maybe when you first met your wife, you're like, oh my gosh, she's just so organized. She's so detailed. I love it. I love it. She's a planner. She has things in order. And then 10 years later, you're like, oh my God, dude, she's controlling my life. <laughs> like, get, like she's controlling everything. You see this? Whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Let me give you another example. So a few years ago, Les Miles was the greatest coach on the world, right? in the world, right? When LSU was winning, everybody loved him. He's so great. We needed a coach like this for so long. And then they have a consistent losing streak. Fire him. He's terrible. We need a new coach. Whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. And the only person worthy of being idolized is Jesus. Because he's the only one that will never fail you. See, if you're idolizing your spouse, if you're looking for some kind of fulfillment in them, because you feel empty inside, they will let you down consistently. Because you're placing a weight on them that they were never designed to carry, and that only Jesus was designed to carry. Only Jesus can fulfill that expectation that you're looking for. The reason marriages fail is because we're expecting people to give us something that only God can give us. And we're placing this huge weight on our spouse saying, I'm empty inside and I need you to fill this. I've got something going on and I can't figure it out and I need you to figure this out. So can I charge you today that the reason that many of you are the primary reason that you feel empty inside today is ultimately because you're not finding some kind of fulfillment in your life through Christ. Okay? So here's the principle of this message today. God is my one and my spouse is my two. God is my one, God is my priority, then comes my spouse. Seek Jesus first. So how do we practically apply this, okay? And I want to talk to singles first, because I know if we do a, a, a series on marriage, like if you're single in here, you're like, okay, well, that ops me out for four weeks. <laughs> so I want to, throughout this entire series, we're going to weave some of these things in if you're, if you're single, okay? So real quick, how many of you guys are single in here? Just show of hands. How many singles? Singles, take a look around. I just helped you out, all right? <laughs> The only thing that I ask is if something ends up happening, you maim your firstborn child, Zachary, okay? Um, So, singles, let me go back to what I was talking about earlier. Seek the one, Jesus, while preparing for the two. Does that make sense? Seek Jesus first while preparing to get married. While preparing to get married. And listen, 
I challenge you singles, get as close to Jesus as you can while you're not married because there's nothing more attractive than a man or woman that loves Jesus with everything. There's nothing more attractive than that. And I want to share a story with you guys. It's my wife and I's story, and I never really share it because of the fact that it seems like I'm bragging, okay? But I want to share it with you today to help you. And the reason I want to share it is because um, I'm not saying that my wife and I have everything figured out. I mean, there are definitely flaws in our relationship, and there are definitely times when we are normal people as well, and we get angry, and we yell at each, all those things, okay? So I don't want you, when I share this story, I don't want you to think like, oh my God, they're just so perfect. Look at them. They're so cute. Okay, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm trying to paint this picture, okay? We have issues as well, but I want to bring you all the way back to probably almost about 15 years ago. My wife and I, when I first met my wife, um, like I said, she was 12 years old. I was 14, okay? And um, I had never had a previous relationship. My wife had never had a previous relationship. And probably within about two or three months of us meeting, we started kind of liking each other. And this was before smartphones. And so we used to stay up all night. Remember AIM? Anybody old enough to remember AIM? We would like AIM each other. And my wife would actually print out all the conversations. She's like, I saved our conversations. <laughs> And uh, I was like, I don't care. But um, so she would save them all. I think somewhere in her house, she's got a huge stack of all the AIM conversations. And we've gone back and read. It's so bad. It's terrible. Um, so long story short, um, all through, we weren't literate. We weren't high school sweethearts. We were like middle school sweethearts, okay? We started dating when we were around middle school, went all the way throughout high school. And um, we knew. I mean, I knew that I was going to marry this woman and um, I went off to a year of Bible college, a very strict Bible college, okay, like very strict, and they wanted you to focus on your studies and the work that you were doing, and you could not have relationships, okay, it's a little legalistic, but this is just where I was at, okay, so we, we for a, literally a year, we could not talk to each other, okay, like not a phone call, not a visit, like nothing, it was, I was angry, okay, but um, so anyway, we had this whole year, and looking back on it now, yeah, it seems legalistic, it looks, and, and I would probably never go back and do that again, but there's something that I learned from that, is in that time, both of us learned to really seek Jesus. We really learned that, okay, we were, there were things in our own lives where we were just depending on one another. Okay, hey, she's fulfilling me in this area, so I'm not seeking Jesus, and, and vice versa. And so um, after my second year of Bible college, this is when they feel like, I guess you're mature enough and you can have relationships now. And so we start talking again and um, things start getting pretty serious. She's in high school at the time. I'm in my second year of Bible college. She's a senior in high school and she would literally drive. I was going to college in Lafayette, so she would literally drive um, to Lafayette and she'd be going home at three o'clock in the morning after we would spend time together, which I don't know how her parents ever let her do that. She'd be driving home at three o'clock in the morning and then going to school and doing all that kind of stuff. And so um, in about 2007, I decided, look, we've known each other long enough. This relationship is good. This is the person that I want to marry. So we go on a mission uh, mission trip to South Africa. Okay. And so I decide, look, I'm, I'm popping the question and I am so nervous. Like the whole plane ride, I'm like shaking, freaking out, like, oh my God. And um, so anyway, we get to South Africa, and I straight up lied to my wife, okay? I was like, hey, listen, we have this, um, 
this, this girl's Bible study that they need you to teach, and you need to be there, you need to prepare a message, you need to do all this kind of stuff, you need to get ready, and they're probably going to have maybe 20, 30 people there. And so for the, like, the next day, she's preparing all this material, getting this stuff together, and she shows up. I rented out this restaurant in South Africa. It's a place called Perez, in which it's pretty much like a miniature version of Paris, okay? And so find this restaurant. Well, she shows up at this restaurant. Some, some friends drop her off, and she's like totally confused. Like, what's going on here? I thought we were going to something. She walks in, and there's literally... Um, a girl there that hands her a bouquet of flowers, and she's walking in, what's going on? And then there's another girl that she walks to, and there's this girl that has all these notes. Okay, so if you're in high school, you remember, like, writing each other, like, letters? Well, my wife, yet again, she's very, like, she loves memorabilia, so she saves everything. And uh, so she had all these notes, and I had taken these notes and highlighted different pieces of when we had talked about when we were in high school, middle school, like, man, it would be so cool one day when we're married and all this kind of stuff. So she's reading through those. And I know this next part is going to sound old-fashioned, but this is just what happened, okay? So she goes to this next person, and they hand her some lipstick. Now, I'm, this is before God. Up until this point, we never kissed, Okay, and I know that seems like unfathomable to some people, but we never kiss. So more than anything, that's what I was so ner- I wasn't even nervous about popping the question. I'm like, well, God, I'm about to kiss that girl. You know, like it was, I was freaking out about that. Okay, so, um, so anyway, she puts on a lipstick and uh, we have uh, throughout the restaurant, we have this song that begins to play, which was our song, it was a U2 song. And so anyway, Whole thing comes down, propose, obviously she says yes, we prepare this whole dinner, which she never ate because she was so like excited about everything. She never ate, I spent $50 or $100 on this meal and she never touched it. And, uh, but anyway, after that was all over, they, we had this incredible evening afterwards. I mean, the stars in South Africa were amazing. And let me just say, we made up for kissing um, for a long time, probably a little longer than we should have. But anyway... So all that goes down, and listen, I share this whole story to say this. We've been married for almost eight years now, five kids in, and we've been through a lot of things, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But the, the thing that I am so glad that we never had to deal with, because we honored God, because we sought God first, none of us had to bring in the baggage of other relationships. And listen, I know a lot of, I'm not trying to cast down on people that have, okay? I'm just trying to say that if you are single, if you can do it this way, you will save yourself from so much pain. There wasn't any baggage from past sexual relationships. There wasn't any baggage from, you know, relational breakups or anything like that. And it just makes things work so much smoother. Now, yet again, I want to reiterate the reason I titled this series, From This Day Forward, because some of you are hearing my story and you're like, gross, (laughs) Like, that's never going to be us. And here's the truth. From this day forward, you can make a decision right now to completely start over. Our story can be your story. It can be that. So if you're single today, I want to charge you with this. Remember, seek God first and God will honor you in your marriage. Make God your priority. Make seeking Jesus in deep relationships with other people priority before you're searching and playing this game that we would like to call dating. So let's jump to the married people real quick. Let's talk about the practical side of this. So this is what this looks like. I will seek the one with my two. 
meaning together. We're going to seek Jesus together. Together. Marriages are stronger whenever we're seeking Jesus together. And this is a big deal because most Christian couples don't seek God together other than maybe attending church. So really the only time you have any conversation about Jesus or your relationship with Jesus is maybe after Sunday morning. And you consider that time, yeah, that's when we seek Jesus together. The problem is we have Sunday all the way through Sunday, right? We have a whole seven days that we're not talking about it, that we're not seeking Jesus together. And here's the deal. If you don't seek God together, you're increasing your odds. You're increasing your odds. You're increasing that 50-50% chance that your relationship is not going to work. So, let's make this clear. God is your one and your spouse is your two. The problem is, the reason that marriage maybe isn't working for you right now is because maybe you're claiming God is your one, it's just that your spouse is not your two. So, work is your two. Hobbies are your two. Sports are your two. Money is your two. And so maybe your, your spouse doesn't feel valued. They don't feel like you're giving them attention. They don't feel like you're pursuing them. And so they get frustrated. They get angry. And this is why many of us in relationships end up feeling so disconnected. You ever wake up, and let's just be honest. Let's be brutally honest for a moment. You ever wake up in the morning next to your spouse and just maybe internally you say this to yourself, like, is this really going to be the rest of my life? Because I don't think I can live this way for the rest of my life because I don't really feel a connection here. I don't really feel like something's going on. I don't know what's happening to us. I think we fell out of love. You ever, you ever hear that? I mean, this is, this is what's constantly going on in culture. And the truth is love is a choice, because there's going to be good days and bad days. There's going to be days where you wake up and her breast stinks and she doesn't look that great, okay? And it's vice versa, where you're going to be angry, you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to feel like, oh, I'm not connecting with this person. But you have to make a choice. If Jesus is the glue of your marriage, it will work. And here's the bad news. If you too and how good you are doing that day is the glue, you're in trouble. Like big trouble, because ultimately you will fail each other. So this morning, I want to give you some tools that are going to help you seek God together. This is going to be a very practical message. Okay, we, I don't usually preach like this, but I think the best thing that we, when we talk about marriage is I think people need practical advice. Okay, most of us understand the gospel and we're going to preach it as well. But I think some of us just need some practicals of what does it look like to have a good, healthy marriage. And the three things that I'm about to give you, I want you to also understand that the academic world even approves of these things. So this is spiritual principles. This is taken from scripture, but even Harvard did a study on these three things, and they say, yes, if married couples do this, they increase their odds. So listen to this. A Harvard study revealed that only one out of 1,246 couples got a divorce if they just did three simple things on a regular basis. Three simple things. Let me give you the first one. Number one, pray together. Number one, pray together. Harvard says this. This is crazy. Okay, number one, pray together. A couple that prays together is ultimately going to stay together. Okay, a couple that prays together is going to stay together. And prayer is one of those, I guess, Christian disciplines we know we need, but most of us feel uncomfortable doing it, right? 
oh my gosh, I don't know how to pray in public, I'm nervous. And so most of us, because we feel that way, we excuse it of, just because I'm uncomfortable, I don't need to do it. Now, when I say this line, some of the women in here are going, yay, prayer, and some of the guys are like, oh God, (laughs) are you serious? Like all the women are like, yes, we love to pray together, I love to pray with my man, and the guy's like, girl, you better do something else, because I ain't praying with you. Like, (laughs) something else needs to happen. And, and here's, what I, here's what I want to offer to you this morning. It does not have to be as awkward as you think. It doesn't have to be you waking up in the morning and being like, gather around, family. We're all going to pray together. Grab his hand. Like, it does not have to look like that, okay? It does not have to be this awkward, uncomfortable kind of thing. But if you want a better marriage, some of you are going to have to embrace being uncomfortable. Like, there's no way around it. Some of you just got to embrace some things that you don't like. Because here's the deal. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a private thing. Some of you are like, well, I don't like to pray in front of each other because my faith is private. No, it's not. You need to learn to do it publicly. You've got to learn to do it. Because here's the thing. If it's good news, which the gospel is, if it's good news, then why does it need to be private? It needs to be public. You need to let people know about it. And one of the greatest things in the world that you could ever do for your spouse is to let them know that you're praying for them. You know why? Because it lets them know that you're thinking about them. Hey, you've got some needs, and I want to let you know that I I know about them, and I'm going to be fighting for you, and I'm helping you, and be pushing you. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. This word sins does not necessarily have to be wrongs. It can be things that you're dealing with. Okay, so confess these things to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here's what I want you to notice about this verse. If you want prayer to work, you must understand that God is an each other kind of God. So you've got to pray with each other. You've got to do things together. And so let me give you a practical side of this. When you hear me say prayer, some of you are kind of like, I don't know what that looks like. What do I need to do? Praying together is just simply being aware of the other's needs. So here's what it looks like. It doesn't mean that you have to walk out the door. Before you walk out the door, you know, you got to sit down for 30 minutes and awkwardly look at each other in the eyes and like pray over one another. It can literally look like this. Hey, Sending a text message. I know you're going into a big meeting today and you're probably stressed out and you're overwhelmed. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Or it can be you sending another text message to your wife. Hey, I know it's been a rough day with the kids today and you're stressed out and you need some time alone. I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you that you can get through that. It's you just incorporate it into your life. I mean, all of us know how to send a text message. Send it, whatever you got to do, like send a pigeon with a thing on it, okay? Like whatever you need to do to let your wife know that you're thinking about her or let your husband know that, hey, I know that you're struggling with some things, but I just want you to know that I'm here. I know your needs, I know your frustrations, I know your battles, but I'm praying for you. Or just simply saying, hey, you know what? I know you've had a long day today. And I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Is there anything you need? Is there anything that I can do? That's simply what praying, when I say pray together, this is what I'm talking about. Okay? You you know, this is what my wife and I do. 
If it makes you feel any comfortable, my, my wife and I don't literally sit down for 30 minutes and pray together. Okay, we just don't. Almost every day before work, I say a quick little, literally, minute prayer. God, be with my wife today. I pray whatever you know, everything that she's going to have going on today. I pray that you give her joy. She would find strength in you. And it's quick. And throughout the day, as much as we can, hey, send a text message. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And listen, we fail in that too. It's not like we're always hitting the, the, the mark. But this is what I'm talking about. When, this is what praying together looks like. Number two. Discuss the Bible together, okay? Discuss the Bible together. I want to read to you a verse in Deuteronomy 6. It says this. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So here's the thing. Once again, this, is not, this does not have to be awkward, Okay, so I think you got to back up a little bit. Like you got, for some of you, you probably need to start reading the Bible. <laughs> so if you're like, I don't, how do we discuss the Bible? I don't read the Bible. Start there. <laughs> start reading it first. Okay, but this is also the reason that life groups are so important. Because some of you are going, hey, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to read the Bible. Listen, we're trying to give you every single um, opportunity that we can to help you with these things. So if you don't know how to pray together, if you don't know how to read the Bible together, if you don't even know where to start, then this is the beauty of life groups. A bunch of people that are all in the same boat that are learning together. So instead of, yet again, instead of saying, hey, gather around, family, let's all read the Bible together, and all of your children just sit there politely and say, teach me, Father. Like, that, that does not happen in our home, okay? Uh, like, we don't, we don't um, do necessarily uh, daily devotions with our kids. It's just we try to, almost every single day, I know we do, every single day we have discussions about Jesus. So rather than just talking about meaningless things, we just say, hey buddy, I know you've been learning this in OSC Kids, or I know that we talked about this last week, what are you thinking now? Or hey babe, I know that we were, you were reading this, or you, God's doing this in you right now, and we just bring up the deeper discussion and we begin to talk about it. Many of your marriages, listen to this, many of your marriages would be better today if you just got in a life group. Many of your marriages would be so much better today if you just got in community. Listen, I, I said this last week, if you continue to live in isolation, you will never solve anything on your own. You need other people. The fire of community is what draws things out of and makes you want to be more like Jesus. This is just what it does. Number three, attend church together. Attend church together. Now, yet again, let me go back to this. Yes, these are spiritual principles, but at the same time, just keep in mind the business world and the academic world affirms these things. If you pray together, discuss the Bible together, and attend church together, you're consistently increasing your odds to stay together. Okay? So don't just attend church, because some of you are like, well, I'm here this morning, so how does that apply to me? Attend church faithfully, consistently, faithfully. And I want you to consider something today. Make church a priority and do everything that you can to not miss it. Do everything that you can to not miss 
And here's the deal. I'm not saying this so we can turn around tomorrow and, you know, um, there's, we've got great numbers. God is, I don't know if you know this, God is growing this church every single week. We did our first Wednesday last week, and we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We had a, over 100 people meeting together on a Wednesday night. How many of you know that's incredible? That's God. Don't make church, look, I'm going to attend when the weather is just, the weather's good. I don't know what it is about church people. And, oh my God, it's raining outside. I think I'm going to sleep in this morning. <laughs> what? You don't do that for work? Oh my God, I think I'm going to call my boss. It's, hey, it's wet outside. I don't think I can get on the road today. <laughs> You're not getting a paycheck, buddy. <laughs> like, get on the road. Don't just attend when the weather is good or there isn't a football game on. Attend church faithfully. The reason that we should make church a priority is because we must do everything. Listen, this is why I'm saying this. We must do everything to increase our odds. That's why I want you here faithfully. Because you, if you're married today, you've got to do everything that you can to increase your odds to stay together. Because the enemy is working double time to pull you apart. He will throw, you ever realize like you get angry at the dumbest things. You look back a week later and you're like, why were we like just about to murder each other over that? Like you left a bowl in the sink and I wanted to like cut your jugular. I don't know what was going on. You ever notice like you just get frustrated at the same stupid things. And the reason that we do this is because the enemy is at work. Parents, listen to this. this is, I'm not saying this to be harsh, but this is just the truth, Okay. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. See, some of you today are saying, I just want the best for my kids, but you're not setting an example for them. You want your kids to go to church, you send your kids when you got problems with them, you send them to church. Church, fix them, but you're not going yourself. Do you see the irony in that? Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. So many of us want different results. We're just not willing to live a different lifestyle. So many of us want our marriages to be better. We're just not willing to embrace being uncomfortable. And if you want to live a better life, if you want to have a marriage that is going to last, you've got to do things that are going to be uncomfortable. Parents, I just got to say this too. Your kids are most likely never going to play in the major leagues. Just throwing that out there. Mo- your kid is most likely never going to play in the NFL. <laughs> and some of you are like, you don't know my kid. You've seen his arm? Oh my God. Like he can throw. He's probably not going to play. So, so here's the deal. Because when life comes, just as it hits you, it's going to hit your children as well. And when life comes and the ups and downs of life come, their career in football or t-ball or little league is not going to help them. When they're dealing with their own relational issues, just like you've dealt with theirs, their experience on a football field or a baseball field or a basketball court is not going to help them. They need Jesus. They need to know Jesus. And listen, Jesus says that the church is the hope of the world. The hope of the world. The reason that church is so important is because it is where we find the resources that we need to grow. It's the people that God puts in this building that you can do life together with, that you can walk with, that you can live with, that you can cry with, that you can laugh with. 
these are the people that you want to be placing yourself around. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that sports are bad, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Just because I'm not into sports doesn't mean, I, listen, I know we've got some families that are into it, and I'm not trying to, you know, make it a bad thing. I just want you to say, listen, we're going to make this a priority. Because at the end of the day, let's think about it eternally. This is what's going to matter. Your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids, and your relationship with Jesus, that's the only thing that's going to matter. That's the only thing that's going to matter. I want to offer it this way. Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, attended church regularly. So, so let, me, let me give you an example. Luke four sixteen. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Meaning, he went every single Sunday. As was his custom. Did anybody grow up, like, your, your parents, it didn't matter who you were, they were taking you to church. Like, I grew up, it didn't matter, like, I was at every single thing. My parents, all, it was never an option. And honestly, there was times when I was frustrated with it. There was times when I wanted to do other things. And I look back on it now and I'm so grateful for it. Because it taught me what I know about why community is so important, why the local church is so important, why deep relationships are so important. Everything that I learned about Jesus, I learned it in church. Your kids need the same thing. Your marriages need the same thing. Make church a priority and you will change your odds. It will change your odds. I want to close with a verse in Psalms uh, 127. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds his house, its builders labor in vain. So here's what this means. Unless God is involved in marriage, in your relationships, in your home, in your kids, you're laboring in vain. Unless God's at the center, unless God is working, all your toil, all your work, all your effort is for nothing. You're laboring in vain. Here's the deal. You can watch all the TV preachers you want and read all the books you want, but you're still laboring in vain. Because at the end of the day, is Joel Osteen coming to your funeral? Is T.D. Jakes going to come counsel you when your marriage is going bad? Is John Hagee going to come put the Star of David when you're freaking out about the end days and tattoo it on you? No, it's just not going to happen. Listen, these, I'm not saying that these are all bad things to listen to, but it's not the church. At the end of the day, you need to be a part of a vibrant, life-giving, healthy source church. Because listen, when you're struggling, and I've said this before since day one, every single person in here is going to get that phone call that changes your life. Every person in here is going to find out things about their spouse that maybe ruins their perspective for a little bit. And at the end of the day, you need the right people. You need to be surrounded by the right people, and those people come from the church. Because the truth is, neither one of you are good enough to make your marriage work. You need the church and the people in it. You need Jesus. You're just not good enough to make your marriage work on your own. So, the number one essential of healthy relationships is living a God-first life. God is my priority. God is my first. God is my first. 
Because here's the deal, and we're going to talk about this as the weeks go on. Rather than you sitting back and constantly criticizing everything that you don't like about your spouse, if you allow God to work in you, he'll begin to heal things within your own heart, and your spouse doesn't have to say anything. He'll begin to work on you. See, we serve a from this day forward kind of God. God does not want to harp on your past. He wants you to fix your eyes on him from this day forward. Some of you may feel guilty. Some of you may feel shame. Some of you may feel like, man, I just wish I didn't have this past. But could it be that today, from this day forward, God's going to begin to do something in marriages? And the best thing that you can do for your spouse, listen to me, the best thing that you can do for your spouse is to forgive them of their past. And you have to rest in the fact because Jesus already has. Some of you are holding on to things that Jesus has already forgiven your spouse for, but yet you can't do it yourself. The best thing that you can do for your spouse is forgive them for the, the wrongs that they have, the bitterness that you may have against them. And listen, this may, take, this may be a process. This is why talking and communicating is so important. Listen, there are things, I just... There's people in here that believe that it's better to stay quiet rather than to say what's really bothering you. And that is so far from the truth. You need to learn to open up your mouth. The key is do it how scripture teaches us to do. Speak the truth in love. Don't just blow up. You sorry son of like, I can't, I hate you. Don't do it that way. The greatest thing that we can do for our spouse to look at their past and say, you know what, Jesus has forgiven you and so do I. So do I. So from this day forward, we're going to make a commitment to increase our odds. We're going to pray with our spouse. We're going to discuss the Bible with our spouse and we're going to attend church together. Because listen, if we do these things, we're constantly increasing our odds for having a healthy, vibrant relationship. And you know what the beauty of that is? Is the world is going to begin to look at that and say, what is that? Because that's not normal. Like, you've been married for 20 years and you still like each other? That doesn't seem normal. And it's, all it is is it's an opportunity to preach the gospel to somebody. Well, let me tell you how we got here, because we weren't that good. <laughs> Yes, we've had our ups and our downs, and we've had our hard times and our difficult times, but at the end of the day, the reason we're here right now is because we've put Jesus first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for each and every marriage and relationship in this room. God, you know where we're at. God, you know the struggles of the past. You know the heartache of the past. But God, I pray that this morning, God, from this day forward, God, we would be able to focus on your goodness. God, help us to have the hard conversations. God, help us to embrace things that may not be comfortable. God, help us to walk through a little bit of pain if it brings us to freedom. God, I pray that today, God, that we would increase our odds, that we would not be another statistic. And God, maybe there's some of us, God, that are on our third or fourth marriage. God, I pray that they would not live in the regrets of the past, but God, that from this day forward, they would understand that, God, that you relentlessly love them and are for them. God, we thank you for who you are and what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name.